Welcome everyone to tonight's E3 Firearms Association call. We're going to be getting started with our call tonight with co-founders Brian Johnson and Adam Payne Show and special guest Scott Kappas. But before we start the call, I want to just go over a few guidelines on how the Q&A portion of the call works. There are two ways you might be joining us for our call tonight. One would be by phone. If you dialed in by phone, your line's muted right now. Anytime you want to ask a question, just press star two on your phone. That will automatically raise your hand and put you in the queue. And if you joined us over the internet and you're listening uh, over your computer, then you will see some controls at the bottom of your screen. You'll see a series of buttons, and one of those looks like a hand. You just click on that to raise your hand. So star two on your phone or raise the hand on the bottom of your screen if you're listening over the internet. And you'll stay in our caller queue until we get to your question. And when we do get to your question, we'll unmute your line and announce your city and state so that you know that your line is open and you can ask your question. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Brian Johnson to start the call. Thanks, Colleen. Hi, everybody. Brian here. And uh, welcome to tonight's call, members-only call. Uh, I want to hit a couple of quick housekeeping items before we dive into our special guest with my, myself and Adam. A uh, few things. First of all, just want to welcome all the brand-new members this week. We actually had a record week on uh, how many members have joined uh, the program, so definitely wanted to welc welcome everybody on that. Second thing is, is we have a big event coming up in New Hampshire in August. It's the uh, third week in August. You should be getting emails from the team on that. And this is a three-day live training shooting event, of course, you know, with Adam as our, our master instructor. And it's a three-day, two-gun uh, event that's coming up. So there are a few slots left. So I just want to reach out to the members now before next week because next week, we go ahead and release it to the entire list and, and all of the uh, free members. They're going to get notified next week. So we're holding off this week because of the holiday and things that we just went through and giving people time to get their emails. But we're going to hold off this week and give all our members a chance to get their slots in because there is only a limited amount of slots for that live shooting event. And I know Adam's on with us. And, Adam, what can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, how much fun we're going to have there and what we're going to experience? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, uh, welcome to the call tonight. Excited to have you on. We are going to have a cool call tonight. But, yeah, so the, the event's going to be awesome, one. Uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it, uh, getting on the range uh, with our members. We're going to have a blast, literally and figuratively. Um, well, you know, we're kind of uh, calling it the, the intensive two-gun, um, defensive pistol slash defensive rifle. So basically three days uh, on the range, and uh, it's going to be jam-packed. Um, if I could sum it up most simply, it's going to be a defensive pistol and defensive rifle foundation uh, the first two days, uh, primarily pistol day one, primarily rifle day two. And then day three, we're going to kind of put it all together with a lot of drills that combine both the uh, both those firearms and uh, in, a, in a bunch of drills uh, that, uh, you know, would be practical. So this is going to be a defensive-based class. So this is not necessarily marksmanship based or anything like this this is defensive based and what we're going to do since uh, we've decided to cap it at a fairly low number uh, for the participants 
what's going to be cool is there's going to be a lot of personal attention. Um, you know, I've taught a lot of classes over the years and I've been in organizations where, you know, just jam packed and I got 20, I got 25, 30 students and it, you know, you just don't get that personal approach and you're not getting any personal attention, meaning, you know, specifically you, what do you need to work on and, you know, where are your weaknesses or strengths and, you know, uh, what are your needs more importantly, uh, and wants for, uh, for the class. So we're really going to focus uh, on each and every individual student. Uh, so everybody who goes is going to get a lot of personal attention on on what they need. Um, but the premise of it is defensive pistol and defensive rifle. And uh, as far as what level that's going to be, when I say level, I'm talking, you know, basic, intermediate, advanced. It's going to be kind of all over the board. Um, you know, there'll, uh, there'll be a little bit of everything, to tell you the truth. I've got, I've got some uh, cool drills up my sleeve and a lot of uh, I think interesting drills and things I want to do with uh, with the folks that show up, and uh, there's certainly going to be an assessment of everybody, see where everybody's at, and uh, I want to talk about what everybody's goals are as it relates to defensive pistol and defensive rifle, uh, so we can at the end of day three, everybody's leaving there with that, you know, aha, I got it, you know, I, uh, you know, one learned a lot, two had a lot of fun, and three know what I need to work on or you know where I need improvements, so whether that's you know with gear or guns or skill assessment, things like that. So uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it, and uh, should be beautiful weather up here in August in New Hampshire. So uh, it's gonna be a blast. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And just so everybody else knows, in addition to the stuff Adam's talking about on the range, there's a few things you should know about this particular event. One is we're encouraging to bring your spouse, uh, you know, daughters, females, whatever it is, because we are going to have breakouts specific to females with Instructor Christie. So some of the event on the range will break out with Instructor Christie. And also there's going to be all kinds of events going on around the actual range shooting day. So we got breakfast talks with special guests and some hand-to-hand -hand combat uh, training. Um, we have some dinners coming up. We have lunch and talks. So there's just so much more going on. This is not your typical you know, three-day shoot-em-up kind of event by any means. This is certainly more of a, uh, an exclusive luxury type event. And it would even be cool if maybe we could possibly get our special guest that's on the call today to, to come on up and, and spend that time with us. But we'll talk to them about that. So let's go ahead and roll into uh, today's call. And, you know, I'm really excited about today's call, everybody. This is with attorney Scott Kappas. And the reason I called him and asked him to, to be on as our special guest today is clearly just simply because I've been reading his stuff and I've had his guides and books for years. As a matter of fact, I'd have to say, you know, almost as a, a testimonial that I can tell you guys firsthand that because of his book, it probably saved me uh, some pretty serious situations up in the New York area, Massachusetts area, just because of me just grabbing his book. And literally just a few pages of his book probably saved me thousands and thousands in attorney's fees and uh, a police record in being in, in a cell a cell over the Brian weekend. He'd be in prison. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and I say that from a responsible standpoint, folks, because I clearly I sought out his book, read it, and it certainly educated myself to where I needed to be to be responsibly traveling through states and stuff like that. So, I'm excited that you're on with us today, Scott. And just so that everybody knows, I mean, Scott is for for. 20 the 23 years now scott have you been writing this guys for 22 years it's since 1996 so just about 23 years now and uh, i really do appreciate the kind words you just said they're, they're they're more than kind and and it's one of those things where like 
you mentioned just a few moments ago, it's not necessarily something that everybody has to read a treatise on to you know know the ins and outs. One of the motivations for writing the book was practicing law here in Kentucky uh, back in the early 90s before either Ohio or Kentucky had uh, a permitting process in place for concealed carry. In Kentucky, you could have a loaded gun in your car uh, if it was in plain view or in the glove compartment. And the problem is, in Ohio, you couldn't do that. Uh, if it was loaded in the glove compartment, it was a concealed deadly weapon, and you could be charged with a felony. And we had quite a few people just cross the river from Covington to Cincinnati, and they'd get arrested for something perfectly legitimate in Covington and a potential felony just across the river. And most areas of law are not that extreme in terms of their variance from state to state. You know, traffic rules are relatively uniform. You might have some minor variations, but if you can do it in New York, you can probably do it in Connecticut and California if it involves driving. But with guns, it's a completely different issue. And that was one of the things I thought was, I guess, a, a, a point of order for a book like this is not necessarily give people a treatise, you know, 500 pages long for every state, but kind of give them a little bit of what they need to know if they travel into a state like Ohio that's more restrictive than the state they're coming from so that they're not blindsided by something that's very uh, very obvious to somebody who knows the law but might be very uh, unclear, not even noticeable to uh, someone that that you know is not familiar with the law of that state, and uh, and you know it's a it's, a, it's just a very uh, odd thing when you look at gun laws, they are radically different from state to state. And uh, in the past 20 years, you know the NRA and and other organizations have done a lot to at least make carry a lot more of a a, uh, a practical option for people. And uh, yes, things have uh, gotten more, you know, political in 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 the years since you know the 1950s. And a lot of people say, "Oh, I wish I could go back to the good old days." Well, generally speaking, we're a lot better now when it comes to carry than we were if you go back 45 or 50 years. And one of the reasons is preemption laws and the concealed carry laws. But but you know, just like you pointed out, for the past uh, 23 years, uh, I've been monitoring how laws have changed, and for the most part, the good states, like in the southeast and the west, seem to get better. And unfortunately, the states along the northeastern seaboard and the left coast, they tend to get worse. And <laughs> and it, it just seems like it's a never-ending thing. You know, California gets more restrictive each year, but then places like uh, you know Tennessee, Ohio, and areas like that seem to get better. And uh, it, uh, but but it, it it is different from state to state, and that's uh, like you pointed out. One of the things you find when you travel is you you just run into this 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 differential that's just not there in other areas of law. Right, right, definitely. Well, I tell you what, we we got a bunch of questions here. We want to get into with you, and and um, I think the other thing that our members appreciate is we're going to come to us from different points of view. Like I said, you know, myself. I'm not a, a trained armed professional or a SWAT team leader or a special agent like Adam. So, you know, I have to worry about things differently than, than he does. So it's, it's really good for us to kind of come with these questions from little different perspectives and, and different experiences and stuff. So I'm looking forward to going through some of these questions because they certainly will, will dive right into that kind of discussion. And, and obviously some of our members have already been reading your guides because they have some questions about your existing guides and, and changes. So let's just dive into the first question, which is uh, 
I have a couple of questions for Attorney Kappas. First, have there been any changes in state laws since the release of the travel guide last year? If so, what are some of those updates? Well, uh, I started something new this year with the 2018 edition, and uh, during the year I do update what are called conditional reciprocity states, and I have the update on the website, gunlawguide.com, and it's updated once a month. And the reason I do that is a lot of the major law changes, they if they occur during the course of the year, generally they're not really taking practical effect until towards the end of the year. So I generally don't update that information but with the release of the new edition. But conditional reciprocity states are the states that farm out or delegate the responsibility for deciding what states they recognize to a state administrator or to, say, the state police or the state attorney's general office. And those states... They don't really have anything in place that would prevent, say, uh, a new uh, uh, state police commissioner from simply changing the list completely based on his own interpretation of it. And this happened a couple of years back in Virginia when the uh, Virginia Attorney General in, I think, the last week of December of 2015 dropped 25 states or said he was going to drop 25 states as of February 1st from the conditional list. Now, what essentially happened is it never did occur. They worked out a compromise, and that, that dropping of the 25 states never did occur. But it kind of showed what kind of control the one state administrator or one state politician has over a list in one of the conditional states. And so I try to keep that updated throughout the year because that's something that doesn't require a law change necessarily. It could just be a change in personnel. If a new attorney general gets into the office and they're exceedingly anti-gun, they might say, well, look, uh, you know, it says here I can pick and choose what states we recognize. I'm going to drop half these states, and I'm going to make the announcement today, and it's going to take effect next week. And unfortunately, that's happened before. And, uh, you know, you might think, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, you know, you go into the state thinking you're good because from what you saw, you know, a month earlier you were, and it turns out because of politics uh, they decided to revise the list without warning, and, and you know, all of a sudden you're you're no longer valid with that particular permit. So, Scott, are there any, like, major changes you've seen in the past year that you had to publish in the guide that it would affect a lot of people on the call? Well, uh, as far as, say, I'm trying to think in the last, uh, well, you know, one thing that did occur in the last, uh, I think, and this is just recently, like in the last couple of uh, months, the Pennsylvania Attorney General, he has uh, essentially said that the only permits they're going to recognize for carry outside your vehicle. Right now, there are two different aspects to Pennsylvania law. Pennsylvania law has an exception that basically says any valid permit is legitimate for carry within your vehicle. So that's by law. They can't change that. But if you want to conceal carry outside your vehicle, you have to be specifically recognized by the Attorney General of Pennsylvania. And the new Attorney General... What he said is every state that is recognized, you have to be a resident from that state to be recognized. And uh, it used to not be that way. Some states were that way. Other states weren't. And he recently made that announcement, I think, about oh, a month, month and a half ago. And that's just you know one aspect. He basically says here's the way it's going to be. Reciprocity agreements are such that if you want to come in for another state, you have to be a resident of that state if we do, in fact, recognize that state's permit for the permit to be valid. And, uh, you know, that that was something that uh, I think probably, uh, you know, most people may have seen coming because they were drifting in that direction. But 
it was also an example of what happens when you have an attorney general in charge of the list. Like here in Kentucky, we have automatic recognition for any out-of-state permit. So as long as you're not a resident of Kentucky, you can be a resident of any other state with any other permit, and you're valid within the state of Kentucky, and that's by law, and it's pretty consistent. But unfortunately, in states like Pennsylvania, you can have a have a change, and it could just be the result of, of a new attorney general that has a different uh, attitude toward guns. Okay. And, and I think for me, when it comes to this question, my perspective is just a, a non law officer or anything like that, you know, I just basically, whenever I'm traveling with somebody and I, I, I just don't know, that's when I pick up your guide and then just say, all right, let me just brief myself. And the nice thing about the way your guide is, is it's written in a way I can just look at one or two pages and I know what I need to know to, to feel confident where I'm going. So to, to answer the question that came in, I mean, bottom line is just make sure you're getting it every year. It's 20 bucks. I mean, I, I get it all the time and it's kind of my guide. It sits on my desk and if I'm going to a state because I travel a lot that I haven't been in a while, I just pick it up, read it, look at my reciprocity laws, and make sure I'm good to go. So that's uh, one thing. So the next question I'm going to read, but then I want to mention something because uh, of my own experiences before you answer this, Scott, and also Adam. But this one is, uh, how does the average person without a law degree or legal connections research lawyers to find one of the best qualification experience track record if they ever should need one? So I just wanted to kind of throw this out there, folks, because from my own experience, First of all, don't go try to find a lawyer when you need one, and that's a key word. So what, what I've done and what I encourage everybody to do is go find one now, put them in your Rolodex, put them in your cell phone on your speed dial, and make sure they're there and have a relationship, whatever it is, whether you go, you know, you get Scott and put him on, on your, your speed dial or somebody local to yourself, but go find one now. If you're carrying every day and, you know, you're as involved as, as I am, my whole thought process was I'm going to go interview a guy, I'm going to feel comfortable with him, and I'm going to let him know that, hey, you're on my speed dial, and if something comes up, I'm calling you. I want to make sure you're going to answer the phone and you're going to be there. So that was how I approached it. So my, my suggestion is don't wait until you need somebody. Get somebody on your speed dial now. But could, could you answer that question, uh, Scott and Adam, or Scott first? Yeah, it's, it's an excellent question, and, and uh, let me just make a quick aside, and then, Adam, feel free to take it. I, I think what you said is exactly right. Uh, don't wait until you need the attorney. Kind of research that, and I've always recommended you know, someone have a local attorney, someone close to them, and, you know, God forbid if you get – stuck in a situation out of state, uh, there are lawyer referral services out there uh, and also uh, insurance type things to where you can have, and you know, pay the insurance and have an attorney in, in really any state that you can at least go to if you run into a bad situation in that state. Uh, Second Amendment Foundation has uh, lawyer referrals uh, for each state and that's something you could do if you're looking for a, a, a an attorney out of state that you run into a, a bad situation with. But if it's a local attorney, I would definitely seek that one out beforehand and have one that uh, is locally based that you can you know you can get to within you know five to ten minutes. Because I've had people in Kentucky contact me from Paducah. Well, Paducah is as far from me as Chicago is, and you know, I just say you're, you're better off having somebody closer to you to do the work within the court that you're you're actually having to do the work in. Yeah, I think great advice all around, uh, uh, Brian and Scott. You know, it, it's one of those things, you know, it's it's just like carrying a gun itself. You know, 
you know, we carry a gun for personal protection and it's that it's, it's an insurance. You know, the gun is the ultimate insurance policy, essentially. You know, in the case we have to use it, you know, we need to be prepared for, for that aftermath and, you know, uh, how, how to deal with that. And, you know, it's certainly in this um, society these days, it's uh, very likely that you're going to need some representation. I think we can all agree with that. And it's, you know, uh, it's diligent on your part to be thinking about, you know, maybe, you know, have, having somebody uh, that that you can call up that you know is trusted, that's vetted, you know, and that's uh, it's certainly uh, certainly a good idea. You know, the, on the other hand, though, you know, we, you know, we're for the, for the new new gun owners out there or folks thinking about concealed carry, which is probably not not most of the folks on this call. You know, that can be intimidating. So you're thinking, boy, I got to get a gun, I got to get a lawyer. You know, this is scary. But you know, it's it's just I'll, I'll put it back. It's basically an insurance policy and you know the the lawyers the insurance policy on on the rest of your life after an event <laughs> you know and right. uh, it's a uh, necessary evil i think unfortunately yeah and to to kind of add on to what both of they them just said guys is you know the insurance policy and you know the fact is i actually that's how i found our lawyer which is and i'm not endorsing any one insurance policy i mean there's a few out there there's nra's carry guard there's uscca there's a carry safe. There's there's a plethora of uh, insurance policy companies out there, and I have two of them. And and I basically looked at what lawyers are available in my area from those policies, and that's how I made my contact. So you know that's uh, certainly something to think about. And and again, you get a car, you get an insurance policy. There's no difference. And this is even more important. So um, okay. So next question that came up here was. Um, Let's see, is there any special license or issued paper through a state or local sheriff's office that would allow a law-abiding citizen to carry concealed in any state? Uh, the, actually, there's an add-on to that that says, I've seen in Florida where law-abiding citizens can volunteer with police departments. This would grant them privileges across state lines. Well, I'm not exactly sure. I, I know that uh, under the uh, you know Law Enforcement Carry Act, if you're a sworn law enforcement officer, you have arrest powers and you're active duty, you can certainly carry in all 50 states. And there are some uh, people that I've heard have become deputy sheriffs through a sheriff's department, but you do have to go through the, the formalized training and complete whatever's mandated under state law. I think if if it was a case like in the old Andy Griffith show where, you know, a Andy deputizes Gomer, the you know, filling station attendant, to be a deputy for a weekend while he goes fishing. That probably wouldn't work. But if you went through the required number of hours and became like a reserve officer, uh, you'd be in perfect position for that. I mean, some police departments have that. The Los Angeles Police Department has a really good reserve officers program to where you know you're a sworn officer and you've got full arrest powers and in, in that particular instant instance you wouldn't be full-time law enforcement but you would have carry privileges in all 50 states but i think it would depend upon the state you're in you'd have to you would have to actually qualify as uh, an actual uh, law enforcement officer and and have the arrest powers and all the rest for that to to be effective yeah i'll caveat that scott you're you're spot on that is that is the case the National Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act is that. It's for police officers, current police officers, whether full-time or part-time, that's irrelevant, and retired police officers, if they meet the qualification standards and they have the retired credentials, you know, can carry in all 50 states. But that is for sworn current law enforcement officers or sworn, you know, retired law enforcement officers. So there's no exceptions there. So if you're like a, 
you know, if you're a volunteer at the police department or something like that, even if you got some citizen credential or something like that, if you're not sworn, and Scott, you, you hit the, the key word, arrest powers, if you don't have that or didn't have that, um, then then that would not apply to you. So, yeah, I agree. That, that I, I don't know of any such uh, such permit or document uh, that does that. And I have heard that as well. Uh, Scott, like you said, I, I've uh, heard folks, you know, j- jump on the sheriff's department or something like that, really for the sake of, uh, you know, being able to carry and, and all that stuff. Uh, wouldn't wouldn't be my my uh, a strong recommendation myself. If something you want to get into, then get into it for the right reasons, not necessarily so you can you know e- easily carry because there's a lot that goes along with the badge uh, than the gun. That's for sure. So uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. In, in fact, I think there was a. I was talking to a retired uh, law enforcement uh, officer from Los Angeles, and he was telling me that a lot of the reserve guys, you know, they have to get to like, I think the they've got several different levels. They have to get to like the top level to actually have full arrest powers, and also they get their California CCW as a result. And also, you know, he said some of them are in it, one of the motivating factors is because it's so hard to get a CCW yeah. out in California. But he said, you know, you go through the program. It's not like you see on, on like I said earlier, the old Andy Griffith show where Gomer gets deputized. And he's got, <laughs> you know, he's got full arrest. No, it's not like that. It's, you know, I, And I think some people I've talked to think that you could do that. You know, if you know the sheriff, he can deputize you. And it's, uh, it's like, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, a little bit more to it. <laughs> well, well, guys, what are your thoughts on – you know, what I've done is, you know, the states that I'm going to travel a lot to, like Massachusetts happens to be one of them, I just go get my out-of-state license, and I maintain it there. Or, you know, depending on what your travel habits are, I mean, of course, if you're going to Hawaii all the time, it might be tough seeing they haven't given anybody a license in two years. But, you know, I, I just try to look at what my habits are, what my missions are, you know, my day-to-day life, and I just, you know, make sure I'm covered for that. Because, you know, with a Florida, because this person's from Florida, I guess it's Brian from Naples, this is in Florida, um, you know, you're, you're reciprocal with almost, you know, almost all the states other than a handful. So why not just go to those other states, and if you're going there all the time and get your out-of-state license, like I have my Massachusetts, and, of course, you know, I don't need New Hampshire anymore. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Scott? Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you know, you are more of a serious traveler. And so if you're going to be in some of these states like you are on a regular basis, that is definitely what I do. If you're the casual traveler to where you might be hitting Massachusetts once every 10 years, well, you know, you, you've got a choice at that point. Uh, you can pass through the state, not visit uh, under McClure-Volkmer, have a case unloaded separate from the ammunition and just simply be on an, a, a through journey. Uh, if you're going to go up to visit in Massachusetts, you just can't take your handgun with you unless you've got that uh, Massachusetts non-resident permit. Uh, some people do take a, a shotgun with them for protection. They can have that if it's unloaded in a case. I mean, that's fine. But, you know, as far as having an actual defensive uh, sidearm, you're just not going to be able to carry it if if you don't have that permit. So, yeah, you're right. If, if you're going to be going up there on even a semi-regular basis, you get the out-of-state non-resident permit, and then you'll be good to go. Okay, so then based on that, I have a couple of questions. Um, one is, well, first of all, a statement is I just want to make sure everybody on the call knows there's a big difference between traveling through states to get to a state you have reciprocity in. That's safe passage laws, which we can talk about, and we have tons of videos in, in the membership that, that go through that. And then there is being actually stopping and being in the state, which is not 
traveling through, which you would need to have a procedure have that license. So, you know, there's there's a big difference there. But what's um, I mean, Scott, is there any secrets or any kind of tricks or tips on you know if you're trying to get your out-of-state license somewhere? Is there you know, because I know that in Massachusetts there were certain things they were coaching me on to try to make sure it was on my application, you know, quote, unquote, to make sure I get it, so to speak. Is there any, like, national kind of things you need to say, or is every state different? Or I know Massachusetts looks at it a little differently than California. I mean, is there – what is the best practices to try to get an out-of-state license in some of these states? Well, I think you, you hit it right on the head there with how each state is, is different. There are some states that, you know, they'll give out the non-resident permit like they could give out speeding tickets on the Indy 500. They just want the money, and you really don't have to worry too much about being coy when you go through the process. Then there are other states like Massachusetts where they and, – and New York, even though New York doesn't generally issue out-of-state licenses, I know people that want to get their license in New York to carry, they sometimes have to hire somebody – uh, to actually walk them through the process. It's not a case of like here in Kentucky where we just go down to the sheriff's office and pay the fee and we're done. They've actually got a, they're, you know, the application process itself is so involved it requires some kind of a, of a, of a mentor to kind of get you through it. And so it would pretty much depend upon the state. And there are some out of, there are some out of state permits that, are very tough to get, and yeah, they can issue them. You know, it's like by law they're allowed to issue them, but uh, in reality, generally, very few ever get issued. And uh, and then there are other states that, uh, yeah, they want an out-state permit, come on down. You know, <laughs> no problem. Just stop in, and we'll take care of you. And and you know, it, a lot of it also depends on the politics of the state. You know, if it's a generally pro-gun type environment, you're going to probably have that attitude. If it's like Massachusetts, you know, good luck. It's going to be a completely different political atmosphere. Well, can, can you briefly hit on, you know, because some people I know are going to go on to different websites in different states, you know, the dot goes to try to look it up. And there's these words that are on there that I think need a little bit of a definition or an explanation to folks. And it's a difference between may issue, can issue, shall issue. You see that a lot on all the different states' sites. Can you kind of go through those real quickly? Yeah, sure. Uh, basically, you've got two different kinds of states out there. Some can almost become hybrids, but generally they either fall into the may issue category or the shall issue category. May issue is when the language of that particular state's carry law is uh, it's discretionary. Basically, it says the sheriff or the issuing authority may issue a license if the applicant fulfills these criteria and the sheriff feels that he has a good and proper reason to carry. Well, when it says something like that, feels he has a good and proper reason to carry, that's subjective. You know, the sheriff might say, I don't care what you tell me. I don't think you've got a good reason to carry. And if the statute says may issue, it means he doesn't have to. You can fulfill all those requirements, and he could still say, hey, I can do it or I don't have to. I'm not required. When a state has a shell issue language in their law, what it says is the issuing authority shall issue if the applicant fulfills the following criteria, and it's a set of objective criteria that it's either yes or no. You're not a drug user. You're not a felon. Uh, you're not dishonorably discharged from the military. You check each one of those off, yes or no, then he must issue it. It's a shell or a must issue type situation, whereas with a state that provides the language in the statute of may issue, 
what they're essentially saying is the issuing authority has discretion. And in the end, you might be a perfectly legitimate law-abiding citizen, but you know, if he decides, hey, I just don't want to issue any, I'm just not going to issue it uh, because the statute allows me to have that discretion and says good and proper reason, you know, you really haven't provided me with a good and proper reason because that is not defined by statute and that's within his purview to decide exactly what that good and proper reason is. Well, so in those states that it's tough to get that out of state in, like you said, the may issue discretionary type states, what would be a really good reason that they would have a tough time turning down? Well, you know, a lot of times if you're in the profession of where you have to have it, like if you're a bank guard, uh, you uh, you know, it's it's necessary for work. A lot of times they give a lot more leeway for that. Uh, if it's like most of us, we're just wanting to defend ourselves, personal self-defense, um, that can be tough. States like New Jersey, they're just not, they're going to turn kind of a blind eye to that. Uh, but I, I have noticed that there's more of a tendency if it's, professionally related like okay i you know i'm a, I'm a bank guard i carry and my company has me going into your state on occasion i've got large sums of money you know if it's work related there might be a little bit more of an incentive there for them to grant it but um even then you know i've heard of cases where they say nope nope we, we're not going to do that no, no matter what you put forth but again uh it, it, it's a lot dependent upon the state and the politics within that state and if it's a May issue state, and they they've just got kind of an unwritten rule. We just don't issue them unless you're maybe you know well you know used to be retired law enforcement. Now they really don't need that with the federal act. But you know unless you're kind of within their their orbit, within their gambit of people they consider to be legit, uh, like in New York City. You know, <laughs> I mean unless you're politically connected or you know a retired police commissioner, you're just not going to get a New York City permit to carry. And uh, um, and a lot of times it just comes down to kind of an unwritten rule, and uh, you know they they uh, they'll find whatever reason they can to deny someone else who's been fine in all other states. You know this person going to have permits in you know 45 other states, but they're going to find a reason why they don't want to let him to ha get a permit within their state. And a lot of times it's based on on the politics of the situation. It's unreal. Hey, okay, so you said the uh, right, Adam. Uh, um, Hey, just a quick one for you, Scott. How do, I mean, obviously you've been doing this book for a long time, you know, 22, 23 years, a lot of different changes. You must have to do extremely extensive research to get all these, all these facts about all these states. In your, in your opinion, uh, you know, we, we know the, the states that are a little bit scary out there for, you know, those who want to scare, you know, want to carry, you know, New Jersey, you know, Maryland, uh, Massachusetts, those states come to my mind personally. But in your opinion, which one is the most Restrictive. You're you're like you know you you folks that are carrying conceal out there. This is the state you need to be most fearful of or know your stuff more than any other. Is there one state that stands out to you? Yeah, I would say, uh, and I hate to get myself in trouble here with anyone who lives in this state, but I'd say New Jersey scares the hell out of yeah. me because <laughs> generally they issue almost no handgun carry licenses of any kind. At least Massachusetts does have the non-resident permit. They're pretty. I mean, Massachusetts is tough, but they do issue that non-resident permit uh, if you go through the hoops and. Uh, New York, uh, generally speaking, if you're like in upstate New York, a lot of times you can get uh, a, a carry permit to, to you know carry outside your premises because upstate New York's still got a relatively 
you know, sort of what I call a southern attitude. You know, if not like New York City, the reason New York is so bad politically is you've got the five boroughs of New York City that weight everything down demographically, and they kind of control the politics. But if you went up to upstate New York, you'd feel like you were probably in Pennsylvania or, you know, West Virginia. And so, you know, in areas like that, yeah, people are able to get these permits. But New Jersey, pretty much nowhere in the state. And yeah. they're real strict when you go into the state. I mean, gosh, I – I went up there for a friend of mine from college. He was having his 50th uh, birthday uh, this past year, and um, I, uh, I had no way to carry, and I hated it, but I left the, my handgun behind, and I'm traveling up there with my family, wife and three kids, and we're on the Pennsylvania Turnpike at night, and there's nothing. I mean, it's just dark, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm basically leaving myself open because I have to go into this crappy state, New Jersey. And one of the ironic things is when I first went into the state, I went to get gas. And I didn't realize this, but you're not allowed to pump your own gas in New Jersey. And so I pull into the gas station, and I start to get out to you know, pull, a pump, uh, pull a nozzle off the pump and fill her up. And this guy jumps out of nowhere, not in uniform, and he grabs it from me and asks for my credit card. And I thought it was one of those, like, squeegee guys. You hear about New York that wash your window with, you know, their bucket and stuff, and they want you to pay them for it. And then I look at the side of the uh, the uh, pump, and it says, uh, you know, New Jersey law requires attendance only to dispense gas. And I thought this is an exact – I mean, this is like a perfect uh, uh, example of what the state's become. It is so regulated, I can't even pump my own gas. And it, it sort of represents what, what – the gun carry laws are like, you know, you, you go in and yeah. the first thing you see is I can't touch the gas pump because it's against New Jersey law. So if that doesn't it's tell so you fun. what the state's like gun wise, I don't know what will. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, Scott, that's funny. It's funny you pick New Jersey. Uh, Brian and I were at the uh, NRA uh, convention just a few weeks back and we were talking to a, a very good friend of mine who I've known for years in the industry and he's a retired uh, New Jersey State Trooper. And it was funny. He was telling me and Brian, Brian, you probably remember this. He was telling us a story. Yep. This is a retired New Jersey State Trooper. So he's retired. So he can carry in any state to include his, you know, his home state in New Jersey. And he recalled not too long ago driving through a state, retired trooper, and he got pulled over and he had all kinds of guns in his car because he was going to a shooting match. And he said he was sweating bullets. He's like, I'm going to get arrested. <laughs> I got all these guns. And, you know, perfectly legal in the gym. But that, that goes to tell you right there, retired New Jersey trooper, you know, <laughs> sweating bullets, thinking he's going to get hooked up by, by his uh, former fellow comrade by doing nothing wrong. So, yeah, I'll tell you exactly. what, I, I'd say that sentiment is, Certainly correct in New Jersey, yeah, unfortunately for those that live in the, the, the Garden State. And I lived there myself for <laughs> almost four years. It was a nice, nice state in the southern part of the state where I lived. But, yeah, it's uh, New Jersey's a tough one. So. <laughs> well, it's funny, funny you said that, Adam, because we actually have a question that, you know, comes up quite a bit for us. And, you know, we can actually talk about that conversation with the, the state trooper there. But the question that came through is, and it's been a couple times now, is, you know, the question of if I get pulled over and I'm traveling through states on the safe, pa safe passage laws and I'm doing the right things, should I or should I not tell the state trooper in that state when I get pulled over that I have firearms in the car? And this is a perfect example because I personally, as a citizen, just as a non-police officer, I usually give the police officer that courtesy. This is a perfect example, and Adam and I were talking to that state trooper that told us, 
you're out of your mind if you tell a New Jersey State Trooper you can fire him in a car because if you tell him that, yep. game is over. So that yep. goes back to you, Scott, on kind of your opinion in general about traveling under safe passage laws, getting pulled over. Should I, should I not tell the police officer? I, well, what I generally say is don't volunteer the information if it's not required. Now, if you, you know, of course, if you're in a state like Ohio and you've got a, a concealed handgun on your person, you're required to declare that to the officer upon his approach. But if you're under the safe passage law and you're traveling through a state, uh, no, I would not. I would not voluntarily declare it. Now, if if he asks you, that's kind of a, a muddy area because. You don't want to proffer a lie to a law enforcement officer if he asks you, but you don't have to incriminate yourself either. Now, if you don't answer it, that's going to look suspicious. If you say no, then he's going to have to have probable cause that he wants to search the car. And uh, at, at that point, you know, it's kind of a, a, an iffy situation. I don't want to advocate lying to law enforcement, but I would definitely say don't volunteer it. If it's not, it's not required, if it's in the trunk and it's case and unloaded, and Unless you're carrying on your person in a state that requires you to declare upon the approach of the officer, uh, generally, no, I, 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 I would not, I would not declare unless asked. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things where if you're in, if you're in that situation with the safe passage law, there's no reason to declare it. Now, on the other hand, if you're in a state like Kentucky and it's not required you declare your concealed handgun to the light, to the officer when he pulls you over, that's kind of up to the individual. I generally think, you know what, I'm legitimate and I don't want him to see the handgun halfway through the traffic stop if I'm getting my license and registration out of the glove compartment, if I happen to have it there. I'm going to let him know I've got the gun because it's right there on my person or close by. But if it's in the trunk, there's really no reason to declare it because he doesn't need to know about it. And so I would say definitely if you're in, in a safe passage situation, there's no reason to declare the gun's in the trunk because that just creates more of a, I think, a Pandora's box of issues. But, uh, you know, legally, though, some states, if you're carrying on your person for self-defense, they require it, and other states just upon the demand of the officer. And at that point, if it's a state that's upon demand of the officer, you have to decide, you know, based on that situation. If, you know, if your gun's in the trunk, no, there's no need to let them know. But if the handgun's in the glove compartment and you've got to get your license and registration, you want to let them know, hey, officer, there's a handgun where I'm going to be reaching for the license and registration. That way, you know, he's not surprised by the fact that, you know, your gun drops out when you when you flip down the, the door to the glove compartment. Yeah, Scott, I, okay, I agree so with I, you 100%. Yeah, that, that's solid, solid advice right there. Yeah, and, you know, for speaking from somebody who pulls over cars occasionally, I, you know, from the concealed carry standpoint, you have a gun on you or in your immediate area, it's loaded, you know, you're carrying under a permit or, you know, for lawful reasons. You know, it is uh, it is nice to have that citizen say, hey, just want to let you know before I reach for my license, you know, I got a gun on me. So, you know, that, that yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, obviously it's a choice you have to make unless the law specifies it. But, yeah, I agree 100%. With the safe passage, if there's, if there's no reason for you to uh, invoke the word gun into a traffic stop, then you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> You know, um, and uh, probably especially in New Jersey, you know, so uh, yeah. <laughs> that is true. Good call. So, so guys, let me expand on that a little bit because I have a question, two questions for you, uh, one for you, Scott, which is if I am traveling, I'm traveling, say, from Florida to Illinois, in your guide, does it tell me, you know, if it's required that I let them know going through that state? 
Yes, uh, if you're if you're going to be carrying, uh, you know, on your person with your permit, uh, in each uh, state there's a, a little thing on the traveler's checklist: duty to inform LEO of of license and, and gun. And basically, what that says is. It divides the states into either the uh, upon demand of the police officer state or uh, immediately declare. And essentially what that is is upon demand means you're not required under law unless the policeman asks if you have a gun and a permit or if you have a permit with your gun. Uh, In the states that require you to immediately inform the officer, that means when he approaches the vehicle, and you know, you roll down your window. What you want to say is, "I have a concealed handgun license." Don't, don't say, "I've got a gun." You know, say you have a license, and then let him kind of take it from there. You might say, "Okay, where's the gun?" Well, it's in a snap holster on my right hip. You know, some people kind of get nervous and they say, "Officer, I've got a gun, and it's right here." And they grab the gun, and, and it's like, "No, you don't want to do that. You just want to basically <laughs> say, you know, you have a concealed handgun license, or in Kentucky, it's a concealed deadly weapons license," and then. Kind of let him take it from there, but you know, don't surprise him with gun, and then you know, be handing him the gun real quick. Kind of let him, you know, if it's a state that you have, a, you have to immediately inform him. Let him know you've got the license, and then he'll he'll tell you what to do next. And I could tell you from a non-officer standpoint, folks, you know how I've handled that. And Scott and Adam, you can tell me is you know I right up front say to the officer, okay, officer, I just want to let you know ahead of time that I have a license, I have my firearm, it's on my hip at my 4 o'clock, what would you like me to do? And then I just stop. And yeah, it's, good. Uh, I, I hate to tell you guys, but it's got me out of tickets 100% of the time. <laughs> hey, 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 Brian, if you keep Brian, if you keep your Tesla under 100, you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, good. So that was a good conversation. Appreciate that. So <clears throat> let's see, another question that we have here. We still got a few here, guys. Um, Oh, and this one I actually have some experience on. It says, what happens, what should I do or not do if I'm flying between locations and I get redirected to another airport where my firearms are noncompliant with the new location? Um, And and I could tell you, Scott, that I've actually been in this exact situation. I was flying from Florida to Boston, and they – routed me through LaGuardia, and then I would get a puddle jumper to Boston, and which was fine because I'm just my layovers in LaGuardia, get on the next plane and go. However, they said to me, well, we got a problem. You know, the flight's canceled. We're going to have to put you on, on one in the morning. We'll put you up in a hotel. And I basically had to say to them, no, I'm not going to leave the airport. I have to stay in the airport. You guys keep my bags where they are, put them on the next plane. I'll just have to stay here in the airport overnight. Now, I didn't have enough education to know what my other options were, Scott, at that particular time. So I just felt for me, it was, well, you know what, the safest thing for me to do is just stay right here in the airport until I get my next flight. Can you give us some guidance on this particular scenario that uh, this question came through on or, or that particular scenario I just talked about? Yeah, I think that's exactly what I would have done in the sense that you hate to be in that situation, and I've actually had nightmares about that. I get caught somewhere where I'm not supposed to have the gun. I'm like in in an airport in New York City, and it's like, what do you do? You know, I don't mean to be here, but I'm here for some reason. And unfortunately, there was a recent court decision that basically said McClure-Volkmer did not apply to airline travel. It was only for vehicular travel, and so that did not apply. Even if you were on a continuous journey, if you were in LaGuardia and you had the guns in your possession, that could violate New York state law. Uh, The problem you run into with that is 
Yeah, it's not your fault, but it's just one of those things that happen. And I would say as long as you don't take possession of the gun to where you have to check it back in when you're getting on the next flight, if you can stay in the airport, if it remains cargo with the airline, you know, essentially within their custody, then have it transferred directly as cargo from that plane to the next plane. And, you know, it's almost like a common carrier. When you give the post office a letter, the letter pretty much becomes their property until it gets delivered to the addressee. Well, your stuff is on the plane. It's still under the control and custody of the airline. As long as it stays there and you don't retrieve it, you're in good shape. Now, if you have to retrieve it, at that point, you know, it, it's kind of a hairy area just because legally if you do retrieve it and you've got it in your possession – you're going to have to check it back in for your next flight, and you know if you're in New York, that's a problem. And uh, the law doesn't provide a protection now, at least based on this court decision, for uh, traveling on a continuous journey. So at that point, I would, you know, I guess ask the airline, you know, keep my stuff. I don't want to see it. I, I just want to get it transferred directly from that flight to the next flight, and then I'll get on that flight. And but I don't want to have to retrieve my luggage and you know, essentially take possession of it. Because once you have possession of the gun, then that's when you can run into the issue with with uh, violating New York state law. Yes, yeah, spot on, Scott. Exactly. That's the key Scott, word. Possession. <laughs> that's, that's the key word right there. Yeah, keep them in possession of it. Uh, yeah, I'll offer one little well, tidbit. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. Well, okay, so I will interrupt you, sorry, because what you just said is important because I know somebody specifically was in that scenario, got their baggage, rechecked it in, and got in trouble, and their defense was, I haven't even left the airport. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> You're in New York, and you have possession of it, so now you are in trouble, which is why I specifically said, no, you guys keep my bags, put it on the next plane, I'm just going to sit here until my next flight. Uh, but sorry, yeah. Adam, I just want to hit your point on that. No, I agree 100%. Yeah, that, that possession word is the key one from the prosecution standpoint. So if you did not have possession, well, you're good to go. You know, I've told folks for a lot of you, especially I was running the SIG Academy, folks would fly over from my old place to come to the academy, ship it. You know, if you have the option to ship from point A to point B, then take take that option. Uh, and, yeah. you know, if, that, if that's not an option for whatever reason, then, you know, as Scott said, you know, then keep it in their possession. You know, maybe your bags get there early and you, you got a little bit of risk because your bag's not in your care and, you know, it's sitting in a, you know, a room somewhere at the following airport, but uh, it certainly beats the alternative. So, uh, that stay, yeah, just be careful out there, that's for sure. And, Adam, you just hit on something I was going to bring up because I wrote down as Scott was talking, He, you know, he said, well, it was not your fault, which he's right. But then I also look at it as what we're all teaching here, guys, is being – responsible and part of being responsible is being proactive so there's scenarios like maybe people coming up to you know our live event or shooting event in new hampshire if you have the option to take a layover to fly into to nashua new hampshire versus flying to boston and trying to travel to massachusetts now you have your destiny in your hands you can be proactive and make the right decisions yeah it's a little bit of a pain maybe you got a layover instead of a direct flight but you can do things to keep yourself from having anxiety over driving through the state of Massachusetts after going through Logan. So being proactive uh, is an option. I mean, is that, I mean, any thoughts on that kind right. of thing? Well, right, exactly. You know, kind of anticipate what might happen. And, and, you know, granted, you want to try to avoid the 
may have situations that can occur by kind of considering all of your options and, you know, having those backup plans to where, okay, if this happens, what do I do? And, you know, you kind of think through the whole journey and you make sure that you are a lot less likely to get into that kind of a situation where you'd have to worry about, you know, whether or not you take possession of your own gun again in an airport and you're right you just kind of be proactive you 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 think through what might happen and then you try to prevent the the bad things that 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 could happen from happening just by you know by by planning it ahead and certainly your your guide has helped me on on some of that stuff for sure so um another question we had come through here and then i actually have a scenario that just happened a couple weeks ago to me that somebody called me on so this question is uh how can a ccw holder Secure a firearm when briefly entering a school parking lot for pickup drop off of a student um so they can have a firearm immediately after leaving the school grounds um, well actually ask answer that one first guys, and then I have a scenario that happened a couple of weeks ago at an airport well one of the difficulties with that is some states actually ban even possession on school grounds, so if you're going you know, like for instance, in Florida, they ban the possession in school buildings and also on school grounds. Now, the local districts can waive that if they want. None of them do. And so even driving on for a few minutes, I mean, you're not under McClure-Volkmer because your ultimate destination is a school, and you are on the grounds. It doesn't say buildings. It says grounds. And so it would be very difficult in a situation like that. Now, here in Kentucky, the rule is, if it stays in your car, you can have it. It can be loaded. It can be up front. It can be anywhere. It just has to remain in your vehicle. And then under the whole Federal uh, School Zones Act, uh, to have it loaded, you've also got to have a permit from the state that the school is located in. So that's another you know, layered requirement. But if you're in a state that bans possession completely, like New Jersey, you know, no guns on school grounds. So even having the gun in your trunk, unloaded, cased, almost like a paperweight or a boat anchor, technically is illegal if you drive it on the school grounds. And I just don't know how you could do it and and get around the, the blanket uh, rule in a, in a state like that that bans it anywhere, even if it's on school grounds. It doesn't make an exception. Other states do make exceptions. They'll say, yeah, if you're dropping off or picking up your child, it's okay. If it remains unloaded and cased in the trunk, it's okay. But there are some states that basically say anywhere. It's you know almost like in a, in a federal facility. There's no exception. And Unless you have law enforcement authority, you just can't carry into a post office. Okay. All right. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I just had a scenario that came up a few weeks ago. I was traveling. I was in Hawaii, and somebody had called me knowing what I do with these three firearms. And they were on an, a train leaving Palm Beach to head down to Miami to get Miami Airport. And she called me from the train and said, Brian, I need your help. I got a problem. I'm on my way to get a flight, and I have my gun with me. And of course, I said, "Well, bring it home." And he said, "I can't. I'm on the train. I'm halfway to Miami. I'm getting off right at the airport. You know, should I just <laughs> go in the airport and just tell TSA I have it and they can lock it up for me or something?" I said, "Absolutely not, because you know it's funny because here in Florida, like you said, we're pretty lenient state, but we can't even carry on the grounds of, of uh, an airport as well. So it's like." Do not walk in. Do not tell TSA you have a firearm <laughs> and they'll lock it up for you. That's like the worst thing to do. So, yeah. I mean, I basically had to say to her, listen, do you know anybody in Miami that can legally possess a firearm? Call them and tell them to come meet you at the airport. You give it to them. 
and move on. So, you know, it's interesting how many people that get into that, those little scenarios that they don't even realize or they forgot that they have it and they're about to walk into a post office. They forgot to have it and they're about to walk in and tell TSA that they have it. I mean, it's crazy, but <laughs> it's amazing how many of those scenarios are out there. You really don't think about it until it actually happens. And, of course, you know, most most people that – I'd say all people that do concealed carry with a permit are – very law-abiding, very pro-law enforcement. And so the first thing they want to do is they, you know, want to be helpful. Look, I, I have this gun. Can you help me? You know, what do I do with it? And I think there was an incident a couple of years back where some guy had been told, I think he was from Indiana, that he was allowed to carry with an Indiana permit in New York City. I don't know where he got that information, but he went up to the the security guard at the Empire State Building because there was a no-gun sign in there. And he said, uh, can you check my gun for me? And he got arrested. <laughs> it's like, you know, his idea was he thought, you know, if he was nice to the guy and, and you know, he, this guy looked like a policeman. So, you know, I'm just going to go be honest about it. And then he did that and got into a lot of trouble for it. And so, you know, yeah, it's it's one of those things to where, um, you know, you just uh, – you, you don't know what – in a, in a situation like that, you, you, it, it's really tough. You just can't go up, you know, just like you pointed out and, and say to TSA, hey, can you keep this for me? Can you store this? They're not there to do that, and and they're and they're not going to do that. So it's yeah, it's a very, very tough situation. You hope you never find yourself in that. Well, so that brings me to kind of a question I want to ask both of you guys. That it actually bothers me a little bit, and we're certainly not on this call to give everybody, you know, direct legal advice by any means. That's not what this calls for. But one thing that really bothers me with some members that I talk to. They don't carry all the time, and they're afraid to carry, not because they're afraid of the gun, because they're just afraid of all these scenarios that we're talking about that they might not be educated, or they're afraid they're going to end up going somewhere they shouldn't have it, and then they end up just not carrying. And that, you know, that bothers me, of course. So what, what can you guys suggest or say to people on the call right here that maybe in that, well, I carry sometimes, depends on where I go, but not because I'm afraid of the laws. And I mean, is there any suggestions you can tell people? Because in my mind, and again, I'm not giving anybody legal advice, is there's a difference between um, you, you're, you're allowed to carry and able. And I kind of have to sometimes say, well, I'm more on the able side. I hate to say it, but that's just me because my life and family's life is more important to me than, than other things. But, and, again, this is not a suggestion, but I just want to get some thoughts from you guys on your opinions on that particular scenario that happens quite a bit. Well, I mean, from, from my standpoint, and, and, Adam, if you want to take this first, that's fine. I, I was just going to say no, that go I ahead, try to please. always – I was going to always try to carry uh, I what I do is I always carry it with me during the day and uh I, when I come home at night I've got three kids here in the house they know not to touch it they never have but I put it up on the uh TV uh, uh cabinet in our bedroom and then when everybody's in bed it goes next to me at the nightstand and when I wake up it goes on my hip and I carry it out the front door Generally, uh, I have it with me all the time, uh, and because I, I run into people that say, "Well, I, I carry it if I think I'm going to need it," you don't know when you're mm -hmm. going to need it. So it's like an insurance policy. You know, I'm only going to take out a homeowner's policy when I think my house might burn down. Well, that's not that's not going to work. When it burns down, you're not going to be able to take out a policy the next day, and so I carry it with me all the time. Now in the summer. 
I will admit, you know, I'm not going to be wearing a coat to conceal it, and in Kentucky we can open carry, so I'll wear it into Home Depot, and it's not that I'm trying to, you know, show off or anything like that. It's just the practical way to carry it. I've been doing it since, well, I started carrying on a regular basis in 96 when we got concealed carry here in Kentucky, and so that's 22 years. I've never once had any issue. No one's ever called the police, you know, man with a gun, but I think that's what scares some people is if they, if it's exposed – you're going to get someone calling about it. Well, if you know, if you, if it's in a snapped holster, it's perfectly legitimate. And you know, it also kind of depends upon how you look. If if you know, if you go in there looking kind of on the edge, you know, a lot. Of, and I don't mean to put anyone down here, but if you have, you know, kind of long hair tattoos, look like you just got off a biker route, you might get a phone call, and police might arrive. You know, man with a gun, and that's why you know a lot of people are a little hesitant to carry if. You know, you go in there and uh, you carry it like you're allowed to carry, and then open carry is perfectly fine. And and I run into a situation now and then when um, I can't take it where I'm going, like a courthouse or the post office, and I have to leave it in the car. I generally don't like to leave it in the car because that's where it gets stolen, but, you know, that's that's just what the law is. But generally, if I can carry it with me, I keep it with me the whole time. With the, hey, the, the little quick caveat, what's um, what is your carry? What do you what do you what are you packing for? Uh, it's a Glock 19, and it, awesome. it it's a no generation Glock. It's I guess one of the first. I've had it since 1992. So people say what generation? I'll say well, it doesn't have one. It was it was the first model. <laughs> uh, awesome choice. That's actually what I'm carrying most of the time myself. Outstanding. You uh, you carrying anything with it? You carrying any accessories, other gear, mags, flashlight, anything like that? Uh, I, I, I've got a crimson trace uh, sight on it, laser sight, and uh, I carry two extra mags with me. And I've got the the magazines I've got are the seven. Uh, well, they're the fifteen shot with the the extra two in the floor plate. So I guess they could have yep. seventeen, but I usually just have fifteen in each one. Mm, excellent, great choice. If, if I go back to that question real quick, Brian, the you know, and it can be intimidating, especially for for the folks starting off. You know, I've dealt with those folks a lot, you know, over the years teaching you know some basic classes and things like that. Folks who want to get involved in concealed carry, and state dependent, it can be intimidating as to you know the do's and the don'ts. I think you know from most states, maybe maybe the I hate to keep on slamming New Jersey, but maybe there's some, <laughs> some exceptions out there as we understand, but. Um, in most states, the 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 measures are fairly reasonable, uh, it, or, or at least straightforward enough where you, you do research for your states and you're going to understand it, and it's it's pretty cut and dry, and you, you know when you can and where you can't, you know, and things like that. So you know, don't let that intimidate you, uh, you know, or or compromise your safety because you're not sure. You know, invest the time in doing the research. You know, ask the questions, get some good solid training, and, and carry. You know, and uh, you know, I, I think you know, Scott, you, you hit on the head. You know, you pretty if it if you're outside the house, you got your gun on you, and uh, you know that's really the the way it should be. If if that's something that that you want to do is carry, and obviously, I think it, obviously you can see that we endorse that if if that's what you want to do. So um, you know, don't be intimidated by those laws. And I know it can be intimidating for folks out there, but do the research. And once you get in the hang of it, you know, folks are going to understand the, the do's and don'ts for your states. It's when you, you cross those state lines, you live near, uh, you know, a, your border state with another state, make sure you know those other ones and, you know, uh, do it. Don't, don't let something like a law 
and certainly not a policy, you know, compromise your safety. You know, make sure you stay within the, the color of the law and, you know, don't compromise your safety. If you're going to carry to protect yourself and your family, then then do it. Right, exactly. I agree yep. completely. Good, good point. And uh, just for everybody on the line, just want to let you know, we will get to your live questions in a minute. If you want to get in the queue, hit star two. That will put you in the queue. I know a lot of you guys have already typing in uh, questions and stuff that we're getting to. I know some people are shy, so they type them in, but don't be shy. We're here for you guys. So if you want to ask a live question, if we don't hear your question, hit star two to get in the queue. Um, a couple other questions coming up, but I do want to, you know, just mention, and I know we've talked about it a lot, and just want to bring this up for, for you, Adam and Scott, on the policy versus law. I know that there's a lot of places that have a policy that, Sorry, I'm carrying there, and if they ask me to leave, I'll leave if they happen to see it or whatever. But And then in even some places like, uh, you know, I go to boat shows, I go to all kinds of conventions and stuff, but it says no firearms, and, you know, I decide if I can just walk through because they just don't happen to scam me or whatever, then I'm going in. And there's some instances where they are going to scam me, and I do pull out my concealed license, and I just show them and say, hey, I just want to let you know that I'm going to set that thing off. And believe it or not, some guys say, oh, okay, you all say, go ahead. <laughs> Some people say, absolutely not, you can't. So uh, you'd be surprised, but um, there's a big difference between policy and law. And you should, you know, I know that Adam has explained that a lot, but we got a lot of people on, so we should probably hit that, Scott, with your, your opinions on that topic in general. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Like in Kentucky, businesses can post signs, but there's no criminal penalty attached if you violate the sign. And so if you see a sign, say, at a bank here in Kentucky, no guns, well, if you carry past the sign, the only thing you're violating is the policy of the bank. Now, that doesn't mean that you eventually might not be subject to arrest. If the bank says, we want you off our premises, you know, you're trespassing with the gun, if they're that adamant about it and they request you leave and you don't leave, if the police show up and they make the request that you leave and you don't leave, then you've got an issue with trespassing. And that can be something that comes up after you've already been asked several times to leave. But simply carrying past the sign is not going to get you arrested because the law specifically says the business can post a sign, but there's no criminal penalty attached to that because it's not a specifically enumerated place that is prohibited from carry. Uh, and, you know, there are some places like, you know, sheriff's office, a police uh, station, things like that, that are specifically laid out as you cannot carry. And if you do, even with the permit, it can be a misdemeanor. But the places like, uh, you know, the shops and the banks that post those signs, those signs are basically there to say, we don't want guns on the premises and, uh uh, we, we don't want you. And generally what I do in that case is I say, well, if I've got a choice, I'm just not going to give them business because they made it clear they don't want me, so I'm not going to go there and give them the business. But if you did carry past a sign in a state like Kentucky, there wouldn't be a penalty attached to it for just taking a past a sign. You would have to go a lot further to run into any kind of an issue with uh, with a possible arrest. Okay. Yeah, I have anything or are we good? Yeah, it was an interesting one. I'll go back to the NRA convention a few weeks back. Uh, Scott, this was an interesting one. So me and Brian, the hotel we were staying in, it was the uh, the last night, and I went downstairs to grab something um, the last night after a few days in this hotel, and I noticed on the door 
there was it was actually the the back entrance to a hotel, but it it had the gun and the circle through it with an X and all that stuff, and I'm like, you're kidding me. So <laughs> one, I found it odd. I found it odd that, to see that sign in Texas. I think Texas, I think gun friendly, and hell, we're at the NRA convention. I think everybody in the hotel was for the NRA convention. You know, that's why they're staying there. So I go up and read it closely, thinking it's one of those policy things. And you know, I was just, of course, I had a gun on me, and I'm with a badge, that is. So I'm, I'm reading reading the sign, and the language in the sign was that it was a criminal act. So. It looks like um, it looks like in the state of Texas that businesses can use something that's like the uh, trespass to those with concealed carry permits, some some language to that effect, where if they post this sign, they can cite this law and it's legally binding. <laughs> Which I was like, wow, that's incredible. I, I was, yeah, you're I, right. I was, Texas uh, is like that. Texas, that. Texas, if they post a sign, and it has to be a certain sign. It has to be either I think they call it thirty yeah. odd six or thirty odd seven. It has to be a certain size, a certain shape, and it has to look a certain way. But, yeah, that they can post a sign there could be a criminal offense attached to it in Texas. But what's interesting <laughs> is Texas also has a rule that says all hotels have to post their gun policies on their Internet reservation form. When you make a reservation in Texas, if the hotel has, has a no-gun policy, they have to make you aware of it before you commit to the reservation. If they don't, they can be subject to civil action by the attorney general's office. So the that's hotel, the wow. what? Yeah, that's, yeah. That's so the, the hotel was was they should have informed you if they had a no gun policy because under Texas law they're required to tell anyone and and basically make it make it evident on the printed reservation form that we have a no gun policy. And if they don't, then they're the ones that can get into a lot of trouble for it. Unreal. I think up here in New Hampshire, when you check in, it just says, you know, are you carrying a forty-five or a nine millimeter? I think that's the question. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, great. So, um, just want to remind everybody, hit start two. I'm gonna try. I know that we're over on our time. I'm gonna try to wrap this up, guys. So we're we're getting through the last question that was the front of the line submissions from our premium and VIP members. So, um, everybody else, hit start two if you want to get in the. The queue here, because we're going to run out of time here, so make sure you get in there. So last question was, uh, um, Scott, could you please give us your, uh, an update on the state of national reciprocity? Sure. Uh, right now the House has passed uh, the uh, National uh, Reciprocity Right to Carry Act. Uh, in the Senate, uh, right now it faces an uncertain future just because of the filibuster. There is a there is opposition to it among more, some of the anti-gun states. I hear that there's the possibility of a vote before the end of the year. Uh, we just don't know when. And uh, essentially, what it does is it's going to make a state recognize your out-of-state permit as if it's one of that state's own permits, but. The unfortunate aspect is, and I don't think they could ever change this, uh, the state can still put whatever rules and restrictions on carry within that state that they want. So if it was to pass, you could still have a lot of these anti-gun states doing exactly what they're doing with immigration right now. They're going to put a whole bunch of their own rules on it and say, okay, yeah, fine, yeah, we have to recognize your permit, but you know, uh, you've got to have X, Y, and Z ducks in a row, and if you know the gun's in the car, it's got to be trigger locked, and all this other stuff. They can put restrictions of their own on carry with whatever you know they decide to to pass, but they would be forced to recognize your permit as if it was one of their own. I I run into a lot of people that will say, 
uh, oh, this will make it just like our driver's license. And unfortunately, it wouldn't. You know, traffic laws are pretty uniform. So when you have a driver's license, you don't bother to research the traffic laws of Texas if you're traveling down to Texas. But gun laws are so non-uniform that even with a permit to carry, you'd still be subject to the intricacies of the rules of that state. Just like, well, just like we are now. You know, I'm good to go in Ohio. But I need to make sure I declare it to the officer when he approaches the vehicle. Uh, I need to keep both hands on the wheel. There are certain things in Ohio that are actually in the statute that aren't a part of it in Kentucky. Uh, uh, and, you know, Ohio also has a, a rule about a loaded gun being accessible to a minor, and that could include, you know, if you've got the gun in the glove compartment in Ohio, even if you have a permit, if your 14-year-old son is sitting in front of the glove compartment, they could say you've got access to it. That's a problem. In Kentucky, it's not because we don't have that same kind of specific rule. So you'd still have a lot. You'd still have a patchwork of rules, but your permit would not be subject to non-recognition like it is now. The states, you know, with the National Right to Carry uh, Act, they they would be forced to recognize your permit as if it was their own, and if they did indeed issue permits. I think every state now does, but if there was a state that chose to stop issuing permits, well, then uh, the, the law only applies to those that issue concealed carry permits. Uh, and, of course, the one state that doesn't, Vermont, of course, you can carry up there without a problem, so it's not an issue, but... You know, I, I just I wonder. I see some of these northeastern states, in particular, and well, in California, go after this immigration issue. And immigration is purely within the federal government's purview. But you know, what has California done? They, they set up a sanctuary state. Well, you know, that's not lawful under federal law, but they do it anyhow. So uh, you know, I, I think it's a it's one of those things where it's a, it's a good step, but I, I think you could, you could it could make it even kind of scarier if you, if you did try to carry into some of these. These states that are bad because I think they're just going to make it as tough as they can. They're going to try to pre prevent carry by someone from Kentucky, say, into New York by putting in all these little regulations that essentially have a chilling effect. It's like, yeah, I can carry, but God, there's so many different rules I've heard. You know, it's like, if, you know, I have to do this, this, and this to be legal, and if not, I get locked up at Rikers in New York, and, you know, and all of a sudden it has that chilling effect. So it's it's one of those things where it's, it, it, it's it, it's good, but it's not going to make it like driving is, where everything's uniform across the board. You'd almost have to eliminate all the all the various state laws to to achieve that, and and you would have Tenth Amendment issues at play at, at that particular point. So, bottom line is, no matter what, you're going to have to make sure you're always educating yourself, no matter where you're going. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, because the states do have a lot of control over a lot of issues, and this is one of them. And, and even with some uniformity, it it uh, it always ends up being a case where you're going to have a few stinkways like New Jersey that <laughs> they're going to find as many ways as possible to, to make it tough on you. Right, right. Okay. Um, so, everybody, because uh, we're going to run out of time, and this is a great call, hit star two if you want. There's nobody in the queue right now because I think we got most of your questions in writing uh, to Scott. So I'm going to actually take the question, my own personal question for you, Scott. And, you know, the question is really best practices. What is the best way to do what I'm about to ask you, um, you know, best practices? And an example would be, you know, I go to Massachusetts a lot. Obviously, there, there are fi firearms there in Massachusetts that can't be transferred to a person. There has to be mass-compliant firearms. And there seems to be... In Massachusetts, this, you know, this 
a stigma that because I travel up there, I travel with a Glock. Well, citizens of Massachusetts can't have a Glock transferred to them. Matter of fact, if you're in a gun store, they can't even let you hold a Glock when you're in the gun store. It's ridiculous, but that's what it is. But I can be in Massachusetts, I fly up there, and I carry a Glock. But, you know, people look at me like, how can you possibly do that? You know, you, they're illegal here. Well, no, they're not illegal here. You can actually carry a Glock. So what's the best way in scenarios like that throughout the country to educate yourself when you go to the state, other than like your guide, which I always is kind of my go-to, but more from a, a travel standpoint or more of the legal stuff. But then there's all these things about ARs banned certain places or, you know, mass compliant versus non-mass compliant doesn't mean you can't carry it there. So, I mean, what's the best way in your opinion to educate yourself in all these different states? Well, it's I mean, it's a good question, and, and it is tough. I mean, I, I will admit that I, when we travel on vacation in the in the summer, I, I generally try to hit the southeast and the and the Rocky Mountain West, where I kind of feel comfortable when I take my M4 and and whatever else I take with me. You know, if it, we rented a motorhome last year, and and I had room for you know several guns. I, I, you know, I, I know that these states. I'm not going to have any problem with it, but like you said, California, the attorney general changes what, what, what you know, what the rule is for for compliant California guns and what the rule isn't almost every other day, and it can change in Massachusetts. And like you said, you can carry your Glock, but then you've got issues up there with people actually purchasing a Glock if they live in Massachusetts, and uh, it, it it is tough. And it's it's one of those things where if I'm if I'm traveling and I'm I'm going to be hitting some of those states, sometimes I take the 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 guns that are probably the most politically correct uh you know the gun like you know the the standard pump shotgun you know you're not going to generally have a problem with that and uh some of your standard pistol type sidearms you're generally not going to have a problem with that but an AR15 the Beretta AR70 you know some of the more exotic looking you know what the media loves to call assault weapons yeah, you're going to probably get into an issue, especially up in the Northeast, and uh, those are likely the guns I'm just going to leave at home because I, I just don't want to. I don't want to run the risk. But I, I, you know, usually those states that are the biggest problem states are kind of clustered together: Massachusetts, New York, Connecticut, and then you've got California on the left coast. But you've got a lot of nice flyover country, which <laughs> is where I prefer, and and those those states are generally generally pretty open to. To, to most of the guns that we like to, to carry and to shoot. So, Adam, coming from uh, running the SIG Academy and knowing that whole thing with mass compliance and all that world, uh, the way you do, you know, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, it's it's just it's it's crazy to think that that's the case. I, I know it's funny. Folks would come down to the SIG Academy and they would buy. 30 round magazines, you know, and, and go back to Massachusetts with them, which it's legal to, at least at the time, I still believe it is, it's legal to possess them there, but they just can't buy them there. It's, you know, kind of, kind of one of those uh, <laughs> ridiculous laws, but it, it, it is what it is, you know. So, yeah, no, no real thoughts on that. It's, you know, just go back to make, make sure you know the laws for your, for your state and obviously be, be cautious and, uh, 
I think, hey, Scott, you know, a great advice if I can go through the Midwest on a nice vacation and, and, <laughs> and avoid, you know, and, 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 and know I have my freedoms, then uh, then good to go. And, you know, I, I love that you've mentioned the shotgun a couple times. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the standard, you know, Remington 870 Woodstock pump app action shotgun, you know, nobody's going to raise a stick at that, you know. You know, <laughs> you've got a pretty lethal firearm right there, but nobody thinks twice about it. So that's a great option, you know. You know, even if it is locked up in the trunk and, you know, separate from the ammo, at least you you got something. So, yeah, good advice. So, Scott, other other than your guide, when it comes to, like, the stuff we're talking about, is there any one place that we can send people to to do their own research when they're uh, going somewhere? Well, and I'm talking about from a hardware standpoint stuff, or do they just have to go to each state's individual? What is it? Well, uh, you know, the NRA does provide a lot of good information on their site, and uh, I always like the National Rifle Association because they – they tend to yeah you know, have pretty good information and they've you know they've also got the, the welfare of their members in, in mind they want to make sure the information they give is accurate and also uh like for instance California for being as bad as as it is if um uh, they've got a bureau of firearms in the attorney general's purview and they've got a whole website set up to what is California compliant and what isn't and even though it changes a lot you go to a site like that at least you've got it from the horse's mouth you know you've got the information straight from the from the DOJ in California. Other states aren't quite that organized, and they almost want to make it as, as complicated as possible, so you just say, out oh, of hell with it. I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just not going to take any guns with me. But California, for as bad as they are, they do have a lot of information out there, and uh, a lot of it's on their on their official website. Okay, perfect. Well, folks, we're going to start wrapping it up. Hit star two if you didn't hit any questions you want to hit. I'm thinking, is there a way, Adam, we can convince Scott to come up and shoot with us in uh, August and come to our members' event? Oh, boy, that'd be awesome, Scott. I'd love to have you up. I have a blast with you, and I I know our members would enjoy talking to you with the sidebars. That'd be great. So if you can make it up to sunny New Hampshire, gun-free New Hampshire up here. It's the live-free-or-die state. It says it right on our license plate. (laughs) And I think... Most part, we I love that. Stuff. That's my. I, I tell you, of all the states, that's my most favorite motto. I I, I like the it because every here. time I see a New Hampshire <laughs> license plate, that's what it says. It makes me smile. Well, love love to have you <laughs> up, Scott, and uh, thank you very much uh, for providing uh, very insightful information to our members tonight and producing an awesome guide for many years. And I think it's it's the standard in guides out there. Um, so so thank you for that. Adam, thank you very much for the kind words, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the invite. If I can make it up, I certainly will. And I tell you what, it's been great talking tonight. I've had a really good time. It's been very enjoyable. And, and Brian, thank you for, for the, the good questions because I think we've covered a lot of material tonight, and, and I've enjoyed it very much. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you all for being on. Uh, until our next member's call, we'll uh, be signing it off. So, Colleen, I'll go ahead and sign it over to you to uh, shut the call down. Appreciate it, everybody. Thank you. Hey, thank you.